0: Matthew chapter 11 in just a second. But how many of us know that here at Thrive Church, we are starting a brand new year together, and with this brand new year comes a brand new theme. It's one word, and if you know the theme of this brand new year, would you share it with me right now? Say it to me right now. The theme is Overcome. Overcome. The fact is, we call this new year the Year of Overcome. It's because every single one of us can think of a struggle in our lives that we need to overcome. Maybe it's a secret struggle of yours that you haven't shared with anybody, and you find that you are trying to overcome it this coming year. Maybe it's a struggle in your family. Maybe it's a struggle in your marriage. Maybe it's a struggle when it comes to your health or the health of someone you love. Every single one of us can probably point to at least one area of our lives, one problem in our lives, one challenge in our lives that we're trying to overcome. And in this year of overcome, we're here to tell you that as a church together, we are gonna tackle every problem, every challenge that's in front of us with the attitude that nothing is impossible with God. That because you have Jesus Christ in your life, you have the resources you need to overcome. Turn, to your neighbor, and say you were made to overcome. You were made to overcome. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. In other words, when you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, you not just only have the attitude, but you also have the resources, the life skills. You've got the the, the relationships you need to overcome, and that's what we're talking about today. And so with that in mind, as we unpack that this coming year, as we unpack that today, would you please stand to your feet as we read Matthew chapter 11. We're all gonna rise, and we're gonna read God's word together. And I want to invite you to read it in a big, loud voice. This is Jesus talking some of his most famous words. Let's read this out loud in a big, loud voice together. One, two, three, it says... Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Today, the message I'm here to share with you was actually not the message I was planning on sharing with you. But in the process of getting this message ready this coming week, I had a sense that in prayer that someone need to hear this message that I'm going to share with you today, and that somebody could be you, and so I want to listen up as we look at the title to today's message. The title today's message is Relief for the Restless Soul. Relief for the Restless Soul. Would you turn your neighbor in with a smile on your face? Would you give him a high five and just say, there's relief for your restless soul. Can you tell him that right now? There's relief for your restless soul. Please have your seats. There's relief for your restless soul. Have you ever felt restless before? Have you ever felt like you had jet lag and you had the the toughest time finding rest when you wanted to get rest? Or maybe you are highly sensitive to caffeine, like I am, and just the slightest bit of caffeine keeps you up the whole night. Has that ever happened to you before? That happens to me a lot. Maybe you went on a vacation, and you thought it would be a restful vacation, but it got so busy that you feel like you're going to need a vacation from your vacation because you couldn't find rest when you went on that original vacation. Speaking of vacations, remember back in 2007, 12 years ago, when Pastor Shara and I, we were just starting to plant Thrive Church, when our church was just about a small group of maybe five to ten people. I remember we went on our very first church retreat together, and it's a lot easier to find venues for 5-10 people than for the, 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 the amount of people we have now. But back then we went to Whistler. We we booked a cabin, and there about five to ten of us were staying in this cabin together. And I remember the first night uh, I was rooming with another guy, and this guy was actually an old friend of mine. We actually slept over each other's houses for years as kids, and we'd play, uh, you know, staying up, you know, playing video games, and we'd be talking about wrestling late into the night. And I thought it'll be interesting because this is like 15 years later, we're going to be sleeping in the same room together again. I wonder what's going to happen. How many of you know that time? Changes people, and it wasn't quite the same anymore. We weren't playing video games all night. In fact, both of us were super tired. Both of us, before we even could utter a word of conversation, whether both of us were just on the bed. Both of us, and this is the thing: time changes people. I, I, I didn't realize this back when we were teenagers, but over time, my friend, as he's laying on the bed, I realized that he is such a loud snorer, and he started to snore so incredibly loud. He's like. <laughs> And, and this is the things. I'm a very light sleeper. When God was handing out the five senses, for some reason, he gave me a really weak sense of smell, which is a good thing and a bad thing, just depending on the situation. But he gave me very sensitive ears. And so I'm quite a light sleeper. And so as I'm laying there and I'm hearing and the walls are shaking, and the paintings are rocking. I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I'm not going to get any rest this way. And so what I did is I went downstairs. I'm looking for another place to sleep. I'm, I can't sleep on the tall floor. At least I don't want to. I can't sleep on the stairs. At least I don't want to. And so the only other place that I could think maybe I might get some rest was a sofa bed well, that was right in the living room. The only thing was someone else was already in it. And this guy, he's another friend of mine, another guy friend. He's in the bed. He's sleeping very soundly, looking so restful. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, I would love to get some rest right now. And I thought, okay, What wh- would he mind if I just kind of crawled into bed with him? And, and I'm just thinking, oh, man, that's kind of weird. He's like, oh, like, he's like, what are you doing? Like, wh- what kind of church are you building? And, you know, and, 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 and I, I, so I didn't want to do that. I'm like, okay, maybe not that. So maybe I'll do this. And so I decided, okay, I'm not going to go right beside him and crawl right into bed beside him. What I'll do is I will lie on the bed perpendicular to him. And so he's lying normally the way that someone should. I'm lying at his feet. And so we're like in a T. And uh, I'm in like a fetal position. A couple hours later, he wakes up. And he he, he realizes that there's someone at the He's like, oh, who's this? And I'm, I'm like, hi, Kevin. And he's like, what are you doing here? Like, I'm, I'm just trying to get some rest. And I'm so thankful he didn't, didn't misunderstand, because I don't know if in the Bible, uh, if you look, read the book of Ruth, there's actually a scene where Ruth actually lays at the feet of Boaz, and she's basically saying, will you marry me? That's, and, and, and I'm glad he didn't misunderstand that. I was like, Kevin, I'm not trying to propose to you. I just need to get some rest. Turn your neighbor and say, sometimes I need to get rest. Turn your neighbor and say that. Sometimes I need to get rest. Why do I share that with you today? It's because when you are restless, it is frustrating. When you are restless, it's tough to enjoy life. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about relief. For the restless soul. You know, sometimes people can be restless because someone else in the bed is snoring. Sometimes we can be restless because of our own physical condition, maybe we're not feeling very well. Sometimes we can be restless because our thoughts keep us, keep us up at night. Has ever happened to you before? Sometimes anxiety and stress can keep us up and make us restless. I remember when I was in law school about 20 years ago. I'm staying in my own dorm at that time, and I remember I had this tendency to grind my teeth. Like and one time there was a dentist who looked at my teeth and said, Man, you're really grinding your teeth. Can I make you a mouth guard. And so he made me this really hard, thin mouth guard that I'm supposed to wear every time I go to sleep. And I tried that, but after a week of using it, guess what? I was grinding my teeth so hard I grinded it right through and it broke in my mouth. That was how much I was grinding my teeth. That's, I guess, how stressed I was. I didn't realize it. Sometimes anxiety and stress can make us restless. Uh, excitement can get us restless sometimes. Has that ever happened to you before? You're so excited about what's going to happen the next day that you can't sleep, you can't get any rest. A lot of you know, parents of young families and young kids know exactly what we're talking about. say you've got a son or, or a daughter who, oh, I can't wait for first day of school, or there's a birthday party tomorrow. And you're like, please go to bed please sleep. And they're tossing, and they're turning, and like an hour later, two hours later, they're still awake. Can you please get some sleep? Because that's why, because sometimes excitement can make us restless. Why am I talking about that today? Because today we're talking about what do you do when you feel restless? And not just physically restless, but restless in another way. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 29, and read it with me in a big live voice once again. One, two, three, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. If you have your Bibles in front of you, and I encourage you to do so, I encourage you to bring your own Bibles so you can highlight and make notes. That's how we grow. That's how we remember. Would you underline these four words? Rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. See, one of the things that I appreciated about Jesus as a leader is that Jesus cared for the disciples who followed him. Is that there were times when Jesus would really try to challenge them and get them to serve beyond their comfort zone or to pray longer than they're used to or to do things that they might not otherwise do normally because he's trying to push them to become more than they were before. But there are also these times when Jesus, he would also be an advocate for his disciples' rest. And you're gonna find that if you're a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a leader, if you're an employer, you're gonna find that if you're the kind of leader who only gives people pressure but you don't give them any support, what ends up happening, they'll fall off the cliff. If you're the kind of leader, the kind of parent, the kind of teacher, the kind of boss who only gives people support, but there's no forward-moving pressure, you never go anywhere. What you want to be is a leader like Jesus who gives pressure, but also gives support. Amen. And see, this is what Jesus does. He gives them pressure to be more than they were before, to do things they didn't do before, but he also gives support. And in fact, you're going to find this, is that Jesus was a champion for his disciples' rest. He would be the one to say to the disciples, hey, disciples, eat something. Hey, disciples, come with me to a solitary place and let's go and have our own retreat. Let's get some rest. Let's take some time off. It's because Jesus was a leader who gave both pressure and support. He really valued the rest of his disciples. And see, here in Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking about rest, but he's not just talking about the rest that we would normally think of, like physical rest, rest for your body, rest for your mind. He's talking about something else, and it's the most important rest that you can possibly have. Why don't you write this down? Do I have a proactive church in this place this this morning? Yeah? Okay, that means you're not afraid to shout to God. Would you shout to God in this place right now? That's pretty good. That means you're not afraid to say amen. Everyone say amen. You don't even have to wait for me to say amen. You can say it when something resonates with your heart. You can say amen. That's you, you taking ownership of the word of God. Not just that, but if a proactive church is proactive, then they'll take notes. I hope you take some good notes in this place. and I want you to write this down. What is rest for your soul? Write this down today. See, the most important rest you need is rest for your soul. The most important rest you need is rest for your soul. Even more important than having a rested body, even more important than having a rested mind, is rest for your soul. What is rest for your soul? Why don't you write this definition down. Rest for your soul is being at peace with God and at peace with yourself. It's being in a place where even when troubles are surrounding you, you're at peace with God and you're at peace with yourself. And as a result, there is a peace that past understanding that guards and reigns in your life. And see, rest for your soul and physical rest are two different things. They're not the same thing. They're related, they're connected in some ways, because many of you guys know that how you feel physically will sometimes affect how you feel spiritually and vice versa, but they're not the same thing. See, you can sleep all day and still lack rest for your soul. You can go in front of a screen and you know binge on all these videos and dramas that you love to watch and still lack rest for your soul. You can go to the spa and get a mani and a pedi and a heady and whatever you want to get and still lack rest for your soul. You can go on vacation and still lack rest for your soul. Why? It's because rest for your soul and physical rest are not the same thing. They are two different things. Because you're not just a physical being who needs to eat and sleep. You're not just an intellectual being that needs to be mentally refreshed. You are a spiritual being made in the image of God, and you need rest for your soul. Amen. Could it be that the reason why you're so frustrated with life right now? Could it be the reason why you're feeling kind of lost and unmotivated right now in your life? It's not because you're not sleeping enough. It's not because you're not trying to take good care of your body. It's not because you need a vacation. But could it be because you're lacking rest for your soul? How do you know if you're lacking rest for your soul? Let me give you five clues that you might lack rest for your soul. And I want you to check yourself on this today. If any of these apply to you, then it could very well mean that you are lacking rest for your soul. Clue number one, your mind is is full of worry and frustration instead of peace. When you think about your life, you're not at peace with God you're not at peace with yourself. You're just discontent. You're just frustrated. You're mad. You're worried about the future. And no matter how much you take care of yourself physically, there's still this absence of peace in your heart. It's like you're like Martha in Luke chapter 10, where Jesus, he notices Martha, who's really busy going around doing things, and then Jesus says to Martha, Martha, Martha. And get this, whenever Jesus says your name twice in a row, that means something's up, all right? He says, Martha, Martha. If he says Loretta, Loretta. If everybody says Michael, Michael, then it means, okay, watch out. Jesus has something to say. And what does Jesus say? He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Spend time with me. And see, here's the thing. is that so, so for so many of us, you know, maybe we've been a Christian for a long, long time, but despite that, your mind is still full of worry and frustration instead of peace. If that's you, then you are lacking rest for your soul. Clue number two. Clue number two is you feel distant from God. Right now, God is more this idea this concept than a friend and a person that you have a relationship with. And you feel like God is kind of far away. And what you feel is not God's presence. Rather, what you feel more is guilt, shame, and regret about your past. And it's like a weight that you carry. If that's you, then you lack rest for your soul. Clue number three is that you're not as loving, joyful, or self-controlled as you would like to be. Or as you used to be. Or as you could be. In fact, you have difficulty resisting temptation when it comes. You have difficulty resisting doing the wrong thing. You know, you, you maybe you find that instead of being thankful, you're often complaining, speaking bitter, complaining words. Maybe you find that you're especially irritable in these like past few weeks and you just find that you're just ticked off really easily, you get mad really easily, you lose your temper very easily. Maybe you find that you're just thinking a lot about people who've hurt you and there's like bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. If that's you, then you're gonna find it's you have a tough time loving people. You have a tough time being joyful. You have a tough time being self-controlled. If that's you, then that's also a clue that you might lack rest for your soul. Is that you today? Here's another one. Clue number four. Is this one you? You feel like you can't stay in any one place for very long. Is that it's almost like you always have to keep on changing. You're, you're with one girl, and you're like, oh, I can't stay here. I'm going to go with another girl. You're with one company. Oh, I can't stay here. I'm going to go to another company. Um, you're with one church. Oh, I can't stay here. I'm going to go to another church. And you keep bouncing from place to place, company to company, you know, relationship to relationship. And at the end of the day, you're like, you know what? Why is it that I can't find what I'm looking for? Maybe it's because the problem is not with all those people that you've been with or those places that you've been, but maybe it's because deep down you simply lack a sense of purpose and you lack a sense of motivation and a sense of hope because you lack rest for your soul. Is that you today? Clue number five is that you might lack rest for your soul if you're struggling with the temptation right now. Is that you feel like there's this very strong temptation that you are battling right now, and every day you feel that tension. Maybe you're a married guy and you've met someone online, and you're just really attracted to that person. You've met someone at work, and you're just super attracted to that person, and there's that big party that wants to do something, what you feel, but you know deep down it's not right. There's this restlessness in your heart because there's this tension going on all the time. You're struggling with that temptation right now. If that's you, if any of these clues applies to you, then I'm going to put to you today that what you need is not physical rest as much as what you need is rest for your soul. Amen. Look at Psalm 62, verse 5 and 6 with me, reading in a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. You know, one thing I find about rest for my soul is this, is that you are at your best when your soul is at rest. Don't you find that? I find that when my soul is rested, when I'm at peace with God and at peace with myself, that's when I'm the happiest. That's when I'm the most content. That's when I'm the most effective in what I do. That's when I'm the most confident. That's when I've got joy. Even when stuff around me is not ideal, that's when I've got joy, and I can laugh at days to come. That's when I'm not so easily shaken by you know, discouraging words or discouraging circumstances. It's when I'm most able to hear from God is when I'm rested in my soul. And you know, I might not be you know, physically rested, maybe I'm tired, but I still have rest in my soul that enables me to smile and enjoy life because you are at your best when your soul is at rest. But how does you know the opposite is also true? is that when your soul is not at rest, when you lack rest for your soul, it affects the way you look at life. You become pretty joyless, thankless, very irritable. It's one of, the, one of those things where you just complain a lot and you get frustrated very easily. Your relationship with God feels distant and cold. You've got less love for the people around you. Even your own physical health can take a hit because you don't have rest for your soul. And so my question for you today is, how do you find rest for your soul? If rest for your soul is so important, if it's the most important rest that you can possibly have, how do you find rest for your soul? We're going to learn about that today. We're going to learn about one important aspect of finding rest for your soul today. And we're going to learn it from the life of someone called Peter. Everyone say Peter. Now, those of you who know a little about Jesus' 12 disciples, you'll know that Jesus had 12 disciples. One of the original disciples, his name is Peter. And you could make the argument that of all of Jesus' 12 disciples, there was no one who was more restless than Peter. When you look at Peter, he kind of wore his heart on his sleeve, and so no one made more public mistakes in the Bible, in the New Testament, than Peter did. And this is the thing. If there's anyone who was restless among Jesus' 12 disciples, it was Peter. He could never seem to sit still. He was always bouncing from one idea to the next, and kind of one mood to the next, and and, saying things he didn't mean, and all that stuff. He just didn't have much rest. And I'll I'll give you an example. Once Jesus decided that he would take three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to a mountain, they hike up to the mountain, and something amazing happened happens on the top of that mountain. The Bible says that Jesus starts to transfigure before them. In other words, Jesus starts to regain some of the glory in heaven that he had left behind. And so his clothes become white light. You know, his face starts to shine like the sun. And not just that, but you know, they say that two very famous figures from the Old Testament, their names are Moses and Elijah. They are standing there with Jesus and they're having a conversation together. It's this amazing scene that is happening before the eyes of three of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John. They're watching. James is watching. And going, Whoa. Whoa. John's watching, going, no way. But then Peter's there, and he can't sit still. And if you read the account in Matthew, it's like he is so restless. He's like, oh, oh this, is, this, is, this is great. You know what, Jesus, if you wish, what I'll do is I'll, I'll make a tent for you and I'll make a tent for Moses and I'll make a tent for Elijah and I'll do all these different things. I'll do this and this and that and that. And, and all of a sudden, as Peter is restlessly talking about all the things that he's got on his mind, all of a sudden, a cloud, it says the bright cloud envelops all of them and a voice from heaven speaks to Peter about Jesus and says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him in other words in my translation sit down peter shut up peter be still peter i'm going to count to 10 and if you still don't sit down and be quiet you're not going to have dessert today you see that that, that's that's what he was basically saying to peter that peter was so restless that he almost missed the big things that was what that was happening in his life he almost missed god speaking to his life because he was so restless maybe you're like peter today is that you are a Christian who's been a Christian for a while. You've been going to church for a while. But even now, after all these years, you're still restless in your soul. Where you can't sit through a sermon without looking at your phone like 20 times. Or you can't spend time with God on your own without being distracted and doing something else. You can't really kind of focus because you lack rest for your soul. If that's you, then there's good news for you. Because the fact is this. Just as Peter was the most restless of Jesus' disciples, Jesus found Peter to be someone that he was going to build his church on. And it would happen when Peter would start to find rest for his soul. And I want you to take a look today because the fact is this. Peter didn't stay restless his whole life. Thankfully, Peter would go on from being Jesus' most restless disciple, to someone who would consistently experience rest for his soul from Jesus, even when the circumstances around him were scary, were stressful, were difficult, were uncertain. Let me give you another example. See, you know, here, Jesus, he's died on the cross for our sins. He's risen again from the grave. Now he entrusts his church, the family that he has started, to his disciples, including Peter. And soon after that, as Jesus ascends to heaven, persecution breaks out on the church, And one of the first leaders who gets persecuted, his name is James. He's one of Jesus' disciples who went up on the mountain as well. They take James, who's one of the leaders of the church now, and the government, they take him, they arrest him, they put him on trial, they convict him because of his faith in Jesus, and then they execute him, and the crowd goes wild people are ecstatic that they're being that that's what's happening to Christians and the government thinks well yeah we're getting a good response elections coming up we're gonna be you know we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna do we're gonna do good and so they say we're gonna do this we're gonna do that to Peter now let's get Peter Peter's also leader in the church and what they do is they apprehend Peter they arrest Peter they put him in a jail cell with 16 soldiers around him he's tied with one hand by a chain to one soldier he's tied by the other hand by a chain to another soldier he's in between a rock and a hard place problems surrounding him that will not go Away and the next day he's gonna be executed, he's gonna stand trial, be convicted, and he's gonna die. If you're Peter, how would you feel? Would you have any rest for your soul in that moment? Would you have any peace at all? If it was me, I wouldn't. For me, I'd be like, What about my family? What about my wife? What about my kids? What about my church? What about the future? What about everything that I thought God was gonna do in and through my life? I would not be at peace, I don't think. But see. The amazing thing about Peter is this. I want you to look at Acts chapter 12 verse 6. On the most stressful night of his life, what was Peter doing? Read it with me. 1 2 3 it says, "The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance." And so Peter, he's tied by one hand to one soldier, he's tied by another hand to another soldier, and what is he doing? He's not freaking out going, "What's going to happen to me? I don't want to die." I don't wanna... No, he's he's going he was resting. And why is that? In fact, the Bible says that he rested so incredibly well that when God miraculously took him out of the prison, he didn't even know that it was actually happening. He thought he was dreaming. And when he finally woke up, he's like, oh, I'm out of prison now. That's how rested he was in his soul. And my question is, how did Peter, the most restless of Jesus' disciples, go from being so incredibly restless to having rest in his soul that on the most stressful night of his life, he could sleep like a baby? Why is that? Well, it's because he learned a secret to finding rest for his soul. And we're going to learn that together today. See, maybe today you feel like Peter you feel like you are tied to one problem and to another problem. You're tied between a rock and a hard place, and there's no getting out of that problem. You just feel surrounded by problems that don't seem to want to go away. I'm here to let you know, I know it's stressful. I know it's worrisome. I know it's uncertain. But in this stressful time, God makes rest for your soul, even now, available to you. How? We're going to talk about that right now. See, today we're going to read something that Peter wrote near the end of his life. And I believe that this was Peter's recipe for finding rest for his soul, and so if you are someone who lacks rest for your soul, and you need rest for your soul, can I encourage you to listen up to these six verses that we're going to look at together, and we're going to unpack them, and we're going to learn five things that you need to know if you want to find rest for your soul? Look at First Peter chapter five, verses six to eleven. Read it with me in a big, loud voice as we get into it right now. One, two, three. Let's say it. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to put it to you today that in these five, six short verses we've read, what you got is Peter's recipe for rest. This is Peter's recipe for rest for your soul. And I'm gonna put it to you today that these five, six verses we're gonna learn from today contain five truths or five realizations that lead to rest for your soul the fact is this when you look at happy people and unhappy people when you look at what you consider to be successful people and unsuccessful people i think you're going to find this difference is that happy successful people and unhappy unsuccessful people they all go through struggles they all have problems the difference is not that one never goes through problems the other one always has problems the difference is in how they see their struggle And we're going to learn five ways that Peter saw his struggle, which even in the midst of his stress, he was able to find rest for his soul. And if you will take this to heart today, I believe that in your stressful moment, your stressful season, which could even be right now, you can find rest for your soul. Are you guys ready for this? I said, are you guys ready for this? Church, you guys can respond a bit more. Because the fact is, I actually preach better when you respond. And so if you want to make the most of this time, if you want Pastor JB to preach the best that possibly can, I need your help today. Amen? Amen. Number one, I hope you take some good notes today. The first realization that leads to the rest of your soul, write this down. Number one, realize that God cares for you and is bigger than your problems. So give your burdens to God. Realize that God cares for you and is bigger than your problems. So, go- so give your burdens to God. We're going to go fast, and so you might even want to take pictures of it instead of writing it down that helps. Look at verse 6 and 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5 with me. 1, 2, 3, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Would you underline those words? Because he cares for you. Would you turn to him and say, God cares for you? God cares for you. How many of us know so much changes when you know that God cares for you? So much changes when you realize that God cares for you. That's, in fact, the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is not you suck, you're bad, and you know what, and, and, and it's, it's hopeless for you. No, it's that yes, you know, in some ways, we suck. In some ways, we've totally messed up. But God cares for you. God cares you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins so that when we had no way of reaching God on our own, God did something for us that only he could do. He died on the cross for our mistakes. He died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And to show that Jesus was not just some religious leader who said a bunch of things and then died, Jesus rose again from the grave to show that you can trust in what Jesus says. If you believe that, come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. In other words, to show that God is bigger than your problems. In other words, to show that God cares for you. In other words, to show that you can give God your burdens. Jesus died on the cross. He took our greatest burden, the burden of sin, that tendency us, uh, in us to want to do our things our way, not God's way. That's called sin. He took that biggest burden and he nailed it to himself on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And my question for you is this. If God conquered our biggest burden called sin on the cross, how will he not? help you conquer the burden that's in your life right now amen look at verse 7 what does it say it says cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you in other words give your burdens to god you know i find this is that whenever i go through stressful times even the past week past two weeks whenever i'm stressed what i'll do the best thing that i can do is not play video games the best thing that I do is not to go on YouTube and just binge on videos. I love watching videos. I like playing video games. But the fact is, what helps me by far, by far, by far the most is when I get into God's presence. And what I'll do is I'll just sit down in God's presence. And when I'm stressed, I'll just sit before God quietly and I'll just give God my burdens. Sometimes I'll actually say it out loud to God. God, this is what I'm going through. God, I'm worried about what's going to happen here. I don't know what to do about this. God, would you help me here? I don't really know what to do. Sometimes I'll say it out loud. Sometimes I'll do it privately. And I'll just rest in God's presence, remembering that God is bigger than my problems. Remembering that whatever it is that I'm going through, God is bigger. And that God is greater. And that He cares for me. And I find this is very often before I spend time with God, my mind is all over the place. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm upset, I'm worried, but when I spend time in God's presence and I give my burdens to him, I cast my cares on him, knowing that he cares to me, I can lift my burdens up to God and then I can get up, I can walk away, and I have a much clearer mind about how to go forward. Amen. That's called giving your burdens to God. And you know, look at Psalm 68 verse 19. What does it say? Read it with me. It says, praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens praise god he comes to us as a burden bearer not someone who wants to add burdens to you jesus says for my yoke is easy my burden is light i want to help you bear your burden psalm 68 verse 35 says it this way read it one two three it says you are awesome O god in your sanctuary the god of israel gives power and strength to his people praise be to god you know a great place where you can be reminded that god is bigger you want know a great place where you can be reminded that God cares for you. You know what a great place where you can give your burdens to God. It's called the church. It's called the house of God. It's called His sanctuary. And you're going to find this is I find that when we come into God's sanctuary, which is what we're doing right now, and we give God our burdens, we start to realize something that it's not my problem that's worth worshiping, it's my God that's worth worshiping. Amen that it's not my problem that is bigger than anything. It's my God that's bigger than anything. And so instead of focusing so much on my problem, I need to focus on the one who's bigger than my problem and who cares for me. His name is Jesus. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. You know, it's it's one thing for God to be loving, but not powerful. It's another thing for God to be powerful, but not loving. If he was one, or but not the other, what ends up happening? You don't have a whole lot of help. You either have a really powerful God who doesn't care. We have a really loving God who can't do anything. But the fact is this. You have a God who's both. He's loving and he's powerful. And you can give your burdens to him knowing that when you give your burdens to him, in exchange, what does he give you? What does it say? Power and strength to his people. Amen. What, what, what burden today are you needing to give God? I want to encourage you today to trade that burden in for God's power and strength. You come into God's presence, either on your own or here in the church, and you give that burden to God, and as you worship God, as you focus on God, as you cast your cares on him, what does he do? He gives power and strength to his people. Turn your and say, there's power and strength waiting for you. Amen. Is this helpful in this place today? Praise God. Number two, write this down. If you want to experience rest for your soul, here's one more realization. Number two, that leads to rest for your soul. Realize who your real enemy is realize who your real enemy is look at first peter chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 read with me in a big loud voice one two three it says be self-controlled and alert your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour resist him standing firm in the faith would you turn to him and say you have an enemy and then say to them it's not me It's you have an enemy and it's not me. The fact is the Bible says that every single one of us is caught in the middle of a spiritual war. God on one side, Satan, the devil on the other. And then Jesus says it himself. He describes it this way. He says the thief, that's Satan. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and life to the full. In other words, in your life, there are two forces that are opposed to one another, who have two different agendas for your life. The evil one, Satan, the devil, the thief, wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life and everything you hold dear. Jesus, God, he's come to give you life and life to the full. And for all your life, there's this war going on for who is going to steal, kill, and destroy, who's going to give you life. And the fact is this, is when you know that you have an enemy and his name is Satan, do you know what? That is going to lead to rest for your soul. Why? You're like, that's weird, JB. If I know I've got one more enemy to deal with, that makes me stressed. Why, can I, why does that lead to rest for your soul? Let me, under, let, let me explain. I'm going to ask two of my uh, very dear volunteers to come up right now. I'm going to ask Jorge and Marina to come up right now. Let's go for Jorge and Marina a big hand right now. Can we do that right now? Oh, come on. Show them some love in this place today. All right, Jorge and Marina, come on up, come on up. They're looking great. They always do. Come on up. That's great. Praise God. All right, this is Marina, this is Jorge, uh, and uh, Jorge, can you tell me, uh, wh- like, how long have you and Marina been married? Uh, 38, 38 years. 38 years. Can you give them a big hand right now? 38 years. Praise God. That's longer than I've been born. Praise God. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm actually a little bit older than that. Forever 28. Forever 28. And, uh, and Jorge, do you remember uh, your anniversary date? Yeah, December 15th. Wow, okay. That, that was not rehearsed, okay? That was not rehearsed. He knows the anniversary. That is great. Yeah, good husband. Here we go. I want to do this. Is, uh, and can I ask this question? Have you guys ever fought before? Okay. Yeah, okay. That, that's good. I'm, I'm shocked. No, I'm, shocked. I'm not shocked at all. Every, every married couple will fight. But here's, And here's the thing. I, I, I know it's hockey season, and I was actually not going to use hockey sticks today, but I'll tell you why in just a bit. But I want you each to take a hockey stick, okay? Take a hockey stick, take a hockey stick. And I want you to do this, is I want you to uh, pretend that these hockey sticks are not hockey sticks. I want you to pretend that these are swords, okay? I was gonna get swords at the dollar store, they didn't have swords, they only had hockey sticks. So here we go, I want you to face one another. And I want you to pretend that what's in your hand is a sword that you're trying to point at one another, all right, and I want you to pretend that you're in fighting mode. Say you are fighting, all right, you're having an argument, you're having a conflict, I want you to give your best fighting face, okay? your best fighting face, okay, that, that's that's pretty good, that's that, that's excellent, I wish you could close up on Jorge's face right now, that's where, yeah, that's where, and then, uh, M- Marina can't help but smile, I know, you just, just keep on smiling, is that how you fight, really, okay, all right, well, here we go, is that, I want to give the best game face, your best fighting face, all right, okay, that, that, that looks okay, I'll just freeze right there, freeze right there, see, what happens is this, is that your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And what your enemy, the devil, will love to do, especially if you're in a close relationship with someone else, is they'll want you to, he'll want to turn you against that other person and think, he's the enemy. And he'll, say, he'll start to say things, accusatory things, into your mind about the other person. Yeah. This person you can't trust. This person doesn't love you nearly as much as he says he does. This person is really not worth your time. And then he'll say the same thing. "Is that, yeah, this person, this person, you need to be very, very angry at them. This person is not worth your time. And what, what is that? That's, that's Satan who loves to plant seeds of division into marriages. And see, what happens is this. Is for as long as we buy into that, we start to be very angry at one another. And we start to be in, on, in conflict with one another. But the fact is this, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, devour. Resist him. Everyone say, resist him. How do you resist him? If you're a married couple and you have an enemy who's out to devour you, how do you resist him? Is, can you guys go from face to face to back to back now? Back to back. Back to back. Yes. Okay. And I want you to fight. I want you to fight whatever's outside of you. Okay. Back into fighting mode. Back into fighting mode. That's good. That's good. Can you give them a big hand? Is that good? Keep on, keep on, keep on. Freeze, freeze, freeze. Great. And what is this? You're now realizing who the real enemy is. Is that your real enemy is not your spouse. Your real enemy is the devil who wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. That doesn't mean we don't take responsibility for our mistakes. That doesn't mean that the other person doesn't need to apologize. But what that means is you can give the other person a little bit more grace, realizing that together, you guys are not enemies, you are a team. And as a team, you have a common enemy. It's the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you need each other's back. You want to have each other's back so that as a team, you're going to fight and resist the enemy. Come on, give, give Jorge, give Marina a big, big hand here at this place right now. You guys are great hockey players. Praise God. Great job. Great job. Oh, come on, give Marina and Jorge another big hand. They did great. See, what I'm here to tell you is this. Your real enemy is not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your life. It's not yourself. Your enemy is someone called Satan. A lot of people, oh, don't talk about Satan. That's like that's a, that's, a, that's kind of scary. You know, the fact is this. If you don't talk about him, who else is going to talk about him? The fact is this. Is that you need to realize that you have an enemy. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. Read it with me in a big loud voice. 1, 2, 3. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. You know what is one area where you feel like maybe your enemy is trying to divide you and someone you love? What is one area where you feel like your your enemy the devil is trying to prowl around and look to devour you? Maybe it's an area of your self-image. You keep on thinking these self-condemning thoughts. I hate myself. I hate my life. You know, I'm ugly. I have no use. My life is meaningless. No one loves me. You know, that's not just you. That, That could very well be the enemy trying to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And see, one of the great promises of the Bible is that even though you have an enemy, who wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. Even more, you have the ability to resist Satan and stand up against him if you have Jesus Christ in your life because Jesus is greater. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Look at James chapter 4, verse 7. What does it say? Read it with me in a big loud voice. 1, 2, three, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you have Jesus Christ in your life, It's not because you're strong, but because Jesus Christ is stronger than Satan. He defeated Satan at the cross. He defeated Satan at the resurrection. He's going to defeat Satan one more time because Jesus is greater than Satan. When you have Jesus Christ in your life, you have all the resources you need to resist Satan. And the Bible promises he will flee from you. Amen. Amen. And so when there are conflicts in your home or in your relationships, when temptation starts to overtake you and to steal rest from your soul, what you can say, sometimes under your breath, maybe even sometimes out loud, is Satan, get away from me in the name of Jesus. Not in my own power, not in my own strength, but you're trusting in the name that is Jesus Christ. You can say in Jesus' name, Satan, get away from me. And you know, in the same way, I've got a friend. When, whenever she feels like Satan is maybe trying to disturb her life, her thought life, you know, her home life, she'll say this, she'll say this, she'll say this way. She'll say, "Not today, Satan." Oh no, not today, Satan! Right? Turn to your neighbor and say, "Not today, Satan." Not today. Of course, you're not talking to Satan, but the fact is that you are saying it to Satan. Say, "Not today." In Jesus' name, get away from me. You have no right to touch my marriage. You have no right to touch my kids. You have no right to touch my life because greater is he who's in me, Jesus, than he who's in the world. Amen. Amen. That's why you need to know who your real enemy is. Number two, realize who your real enemy is. Number three, realize that you are not alone in your struggle. See, one of Satan's tactics that he loves to make us think is that your struggle is unique to you, that only you have the struggle. That no one else in the history of the world has ever gone through what you're going through. And so no one's going to understand. So don't bother talking to anyone about it because you're just going to embarrass yourself. Don't talk to anyone. There is power in secrecy when it comes to sin. There is power in secrecy when it comes to your struggle. And the fact is, it's a lie. Turn around and say, it's a lie. The fact is you are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. First Pat- Peter chapter 5 verse 9, the back half of it. Read it with me. One two, it says because you know that you that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know sometimes people come up to me at the end of a service and go, "Man, like, how did you know to talk about that today?" Cuz like it's like totally speaking to what I'm going through right now. And very, times, very often I'll tell them, you know what? Very often when I'm talking to you guys, I'm actually talking to myself. I'm talking to myself. And what does that show? It's that you're not alone. You're not the only one who goes through the struggles that you go through. You have brothers and sisters throughout the world who are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And I don't know about you, but I find there's hope and there's comfort in that. Amen? Is that when I'm going through a struggle, I can go to my small group. I can go to my friends and I can say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is the temptation I'm dealing with. This is the the, the, the worry that's on my heart. This is the, the, this is the thing that's really bothering me right now. And, like, and, and so often, my friends in my small group, they'll say, you know what, I can totally relate. I was doing exactly the same thing this past week as well. And we'll pray for one another. That's why if you're not in a small group, then you are disadvantaging your own relationship with God by not being in a small group. Not only are you isolating yourself, but you're giving the enemy more room to work in your life because he loves to work when you're isolated. You want to get in a small group say get in a small group look at first corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 what does it say it says no temptation has seized you except what is common to man and god is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear but when you are tempted he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it see no temptation that has seized you. You know the Greek word for seize is labano. Labano is when you grip something so tight that you feel it. And see, maybe you're in this place where temptation has gripped you. It seized you in a way where you really feel that temptation. You feel the power of that temptation. But the great promise of God's word in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen is that the fact is no matter how strong that temptation might feel, the fact is what you're going through is not unique to you. What you're going through is, in fact, very common. And if there's no one else who's ever gone through it, the fact is Jesus has gone through it for you. The fact is Hebrews says that he is our great high priest who's been, who's tempted just as we are but didn't sin. And so if there's anyone who would relate to you, guess what? Jesus can relate to you. Amen. And the fact is, no temptation that you have ever will experience will be unique to you. It's common to other people. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, whenever you struggle with temptation, guess what? With every temptation, there's an exit sign from God. With every temptation from your enemy, there's an exit sign from God where you can go and you have a way out. It's never, oh, I can't, it's impossible, I have to give in. No, there's always a way out because God is faithful. Amen. You are not alone. Turn to him and say, you are not alone. Number four, realization number four that leads to rest for your soul. Realize that the struggle you're going through is not just unique. It's not just not unique. It's also only temporary. It's only temporary. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. What does it say? Read it with me. It says, And the God of all grace, are you there, church? And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Read that one more time, and you're going to underline something. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, underline this, after you've suffered a little while. After you suffer a little while, see Satan will make you want to think that that struggle you're going through right now, that temptation that you're facing right now, it's always going to be there. That's your fate that's just your lot in life you have always been this way you will always be this way your marriage has always been this way your marriage will always be this way you've always been messed up up you've always been messed up you will always be messed up and guess what that's a lie as well verse 10 says after you've suffered a little while everyone say a little while In other words, it's temporary. In other words, it's not forever. In other words, it's not going to last. In other words, it's not always going to be this way. Verse 10 says, after you suffer a little while, what happens? God, the God of all grace, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Everyone say restore. See, one of the things I love about God is that God is not just a God of rest. God is also a God of restoration. And when you study what restoration means in the Bible, a lot of people, they think of, you know, furniture restoration. I'm going to restore this broken chair to what it used to be so it's back to its original. That's what a lot of people think of when they think of the word restore. But when you read what restore means in the Bible, when you understand what restoration means in the Bible, you'll realize it's that for God, who's a restorer, restoration is not taking something that's broken and making it like it what it used to be back to its original state. No, for God, restoration is taking something that's broken and then fixing it, making it whole, and then making it better than it's ever been before. That is restoration in God. That's how God restores. He doesn't just bring you to 100% again. He goes, I'm going to give you 125%. It's because it's the kind of restoration that says, I'm going to be better than I used to be. Not what I uh, used to be, not my original state, but even better. It's a restoration that says the best is yet to come. Amen. That is the, oh, come on. Give God a big, big hand here this place right now. That's the kind of restoration that God gives. He will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Not back to your original state, your prime, but even better than your prime, because that's the restoration of God. And so let me say this to you right now. Your struggle might seem so permanent. Your struggle might seem like I've got no other choice. Your struggle might seem like, you know what, maybe I'm destined to to just die this way, and this is just my lot in life. Can I tell you this right now? That's a lie. Your struggle right now is not your gravestone marking your death. Your struggle right now is your stepping stone marking your destiny. Amen. It is one part of a greater story that God is writing with your life. It's not this that's going to be forever. It's after a little while. And after a little while, God, if you would hang on to him, if you would persevere, if you would realize what we're talking about today, is that God's going to take that struggle that you think is so hard, that's so permanent, he's going to turn it around, and at the end of the day, you're going to see that this was just one stepping stone to something greater that God was doing in your life. You just have to wait and persevere to see it. Oh, come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That means there's hope for your future. That means there's hope for your family. That means there's hope for your kids. That means there's hope for your marriage. That means there's hope for your ministry. Because God is a God who restores us, not back to the original, but to something better than we've ever been before. The best is yet to come. Amen. Number five, and when we're going to close. Number five, if you want to experience rest for your soul, realize one last thing. Realize that what you can't do by your power God can do by his power. What you can't do by your power, God can do by his power. In fact, that's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when we, by our own power, had no way of reaching God, when we, by our own power, had no way of reaching heaven... God said, I'm going to reach you with my power. And I'm going to do for you what you could never do yourself. Something that only I can do for you. I'm going to save you from your sins. I'm going to die on the cross so you can be forgiven. I'm going to rise again to conquer death for you. So that by trusting in me, not in your power, but trusting in my power, you will be forgiven. You will be saved. You will have eternal life. You will have hope for tomorrow. It's because it's not my power. It's God's power. Amen. Look at verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 5. What does it say? It says, To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And you know, that's beautiful. In fact, elsewhere in 1 Peter, it says that the NIV, the New International Version, I love that translation. This is what it says. But I really like the God's word translation, which says it this way. 1 Peter five eleven. the God's word translation says, Power belongs to him forever. In other words, it's not just, Oh, God, may you be powerful. But it's a statement of fact. It's saying, Power belongs to God. In other words, we don't have the power, but God has the power. We don't have the ability, but God has the ability. And because God conquered death and sin are two biggest problems, because all power and authority belong to Jesus, when our lives are in Jesus Christ, we can say with the Apostle Paul, we can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, speaking of Paul, Paul, he had what he called a thorn in his flesh. It was a struggle. We don't know exactly what that struggle is. A lot of different scholars, they try to guess what it is, but we don't really know. And I believe that's for a purpose. It's so that every single one of us can relate. Because every single one of us can think of a problem that we need to overcome. But the fact is this. Paul, he had this problem that wouldn't go away for a long time. It's called this thorn in his flesh. That's what he called it. It's like a thorn in my flesh. And three times he tried to ask God, take away this problem. God, take away this issue. God, take away this conflict. God, take away this struggle. But Instead, what would God say to him? Look at 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. What does it say? Read it with me in a big loud voice. It's the last verse for today. One, two, three, it says, my grace, or okay, let's say it. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, God's way is not always to take away your problem. It's to empower the person to face the problem. And that's what he did. My grace is sufficient for you. Maybe you're going through this impossible situation that you feel is always going to be there. You can proclaim today because Jesus Christ is my life. God's grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my weakness. And so let's recap today. If you want to find rest for your soul, there's five things that, like Peter, you want to realize today. Number one, realize that God is bigger than your problems. He cares for you. Give your burdens to him. Number two, Realize who your real enemy is. It's not your wife. It's not your life. It's not yourself. It's the guy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy, but you can resist him and he will flee. Number three, realize that your struggle is not unique. You're not alone. The fact is God is with you and you've got brothers and sisters who are here for you as well. Number four, realize that what you are going through is only temporary. It's not always gonna be here. It's only after a little while, God's gonna restore you. Finally, number five, realize that what you can't do by your power, power, God can do by his power. Oh, come on. Give God a big, big hand here in this place together right now. That word is for you. Do you receive it? Give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Would you stand to your feet? Would you turn neighbors on your right and your left? Give them a high five and say, God's grace is sufficient for me.